morning, Harvest. How are we doing? Good. Hey, can we thank the worship team um, in back for leading us in worship so well again this morning? Don't want to take for granted what um, just the amount of work and, and sacrifice they give to lead us so well. Do me a favor, if you have your Bibles, can you open them up to Genesis 3? We're going to be jumping around a little bit this morning, but we're going to start right at the beginning of the Bible in Genesis 3. And uh, we have people coming down the aisles who would love to get a copy of God's Word to you. If you don't have one with you this morning, just raise your hand. We'll get that to you. If you don't own a Bible, uh, consider that our gift to you. Um, if you're visiting, I'd just like to give you a special welcome. My name is uh, Calvin. I'm one of the pastors here. And so glad that you are visiting with us. And uh, as you can obviously tell from the worship, from the videos, we're going to talk about peace this morning. And um, Christmas is just nine days away. It is really, really close. It's kind of the final countdown. Is there anyone in your family who is like way, 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 way more excited about Christmas than everyone else in your family? Do you guys have that family member? Um, if you're sitting next to them, can you just point to them and call them out publicly right now? Yeah, I see some fingers going like this and some people blushing. That's great. Um, I have a, a five-year-old son and a three-year-old son. And what I found is celebrating Christmas with little kids is the absolute best because they have zero ability to hide their dark, selfish hearts. And it's amazing. <laughs> um, just yesterday, our family was sitting at lunch and Judah, our youngest, goes, Mom... All I want for Christmas is presents. That's it. And I was like, well played, son, right? There's, there's a lot of work to do with him. But he's like, I don't care about family. I don't care uh, about Jesus right now. I'm only three. I just want toys. So at Christmas, what I do with him, we just had uh, my wife's side of the family. Their family Christmas was on Friday night. And uh, he'll have a present that's for him. And I'll be like, all right, Judah, time to open your present. And he'll just be so pumped. And I'll take the present. I'm like, all right, you can have this. You just got to get it from me first. And, and he'll reach for it and I'll pull it away. And then he'll reach for it and I'll put it to my other hand and pull it away. And he'll jump on me and we'll be wrestling. And he'll try to get the gift. And it's really, really fun for him for about 30 seconds. But at second 31, a terror shows up in his eyes. Like, I'm never going to get this present. Dad's going to keep it from me forever. And tears form and he starts getting angry. And it's awesome. Right? It's like my favorite part of Christmas. I'm being the Grinch personified. And, and um, it, it's he, the thing he wants most, I get to play keep away from him with for, for a little bit. And, and the reason I bring that story up is because I feel like peace is this thing that all of us desire. And yet it feels like our whole life, peace is keeping or playing keep away with us. We want it so bad, but we can never really seem to hold on to it. It might be here for a moment, but then it's gone. Or we think, man, if this just happened, or if these things align in my life, then life will get peaceful, and then we get there, and the peace seems to vanish. And the big idea this morning, to kind of give us a, a picture of where we're going, it's this. It's that the very thing that you and I are wired to have always seems to be just outside of our grasp. The very thing that we are wired to want, to need, to desire, this peace we can never seem to get a hold of. Mankind has always been searching for peace. And no matter what we look for it in, it never seems to deliver what it promises. Think about us on a macro level, right? Think about how our country was founded, right? We're going to go to this new world. And in this new world, we're going to have peace. We're going to worship how we want to worship. We're not going to be persecuted. We'll get to start our own society. There will be peace. 
We have been in search of a, a utopia. And we look for government systems to bring about this utopia. We're like, man, maybe it's found in socialism. Or maybe it's found in communism. If everyone's just the same and there, there's no um, inequality in, in income and if the government has more control, we'll find it there. Or then we look for it in capitalism. Let's take government authority away and let's just let the market regulate everything. And that's how we're going to find utopia. We get so wound up around elections because we think that the next president might give or take away peace. That's why presidents run on campaigns with words like hope. We're longing for this utopia, this peace that government never seems to bring us. Another big one today for us is technology, right? How much technology is geared toward making us feel more comfortable, right? Like right now I can go home and I can um, order a pizza from my home that will be delivered. I can watch football on my uh, TV. I can on my computer, watch a movie just in my home. I can order it, I can rent it, I can do it all without leaving my bed. I can order my groceries without ever leaving home. Like everything is so geared to, let's just make life as comfortable as possible. Maybe that will bring us peace. This is something we look for individually as well, right? Why do we idolize vacations? Because life is so busy and it's so hectic and it's so stressful. But man, if I can just get on a beach or if I can get on that cruise or if I can go somewhere warm, then I'm going to experience peace. Right? Why do we idolize holidays? Right? We've got this picture of our, in our mind that when the family all just gets together, then that peace that I'm longing for will just happen, which is crazy because so often the exact opposite happens, right? So often the most conflict in the holidays is around family. I saw someone post online this week that they're like, whoever put Thanksgiving and Christmas a month apart on the calendar was insane. They're like, we need at least six months before we can all get together again and expect things to go well. The fact that we're doing it twice in a month is just asking for trouble. But man, if the holidays, I'll get a couple days off work, we'll open presents, there's this like nostalgic feeling that we think is going to bring peace. Like I remember growing up in school, like summer vacation, right? If I can just get through the school year, then, then summer is these three months of peace. And it never seemed to play out that way. Or we think, man, if I just have enough success, or if I make enough money, or if I can have this thing, then peace will be found. The problem is it never seems to deliver. We are all longing for peace, and peace is just outside of our reach. And the Bible actually talks a lot about why we desire peace. Did you know that? And it gives a framework to help us understand why we long for this so badly. In Genesis 1, it says that God created the world in six days. And on the sixth day, he placed Adam and Eve in the garden and he called it good. Okay, and you need to understand what this means. It meant that it was perfect. That, that when Adam and Eve, when man was created, they were created in a world that was not broken yet by sin. And they were created to have perfect relationship with God and with one another. And, and when sin broke that, it broke the peace that, that you and I were created for. So, so here's what you need to understand. Our desire for peace is not a bad thing. It's natural. We were wired to know and experience peace. The problem is, is that peace has been broken and we look to the world to satisfy that peace and it's never going to satisfy. And we need to understand that the reason we live in a world that is full of fear and anxiety, which is the opposite of peace, is because of sin. It's because of the fall. If you have your Bibles open, look at Genesis 3, starting at verse 6. Follow along as I read. 
It says, so the, the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was desired to make one wise. She took of its fruit and ate and she also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate. And then they, the eyes of both were open and they knew that they were naked and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man and said to him, where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. And he said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? And the man said, the woman, by the way, men never call your wife the woman. That's never like great play. The woman whom you gave to be with me. She gave me the fruit of the tree and I ate. And then the Lord God said to the woman, what is this that you have done? And the woman said, the serpent deceived me and I ate. So do you see how in a moment, perfect relationship is substituted with fear and anxiety and hiding and blame shift and conflict? They're blaming each other. They're hiding from God. The peace that we were created for was broken in an instant and then later on in Genesis 3, God would kick Adam and Eve out of the garden. They were no longer allowed to live in perfect relationship with God. And then already just in the next chapter, Genesis 4, Adam and Eve's kids are killing each other. And what God is showing us is that our world is broken and peace is gone and it cannot be fixed. And the world is spiraling towards fear and anxiety as the result of sin. We have no ability to fix it. And so what have we done? We've run to all of these other things, believing that it's going to solve our peace problem, and it always leaves us wanting. Our world is broken, spinning faster and faster towards fear and anxiety. So if you have your Bibles, do me a favor, turn over to Luke 1, and we're going to look at the Christmas story. And here's one of the reasons I love the Christmas story, is that the Christmas story is filled with fear. There is fear all around the first coming of Jesus. And what this is going to show us is that the characters in the Christmas story are not different from you and me. The same fears that we deal with, they were dealing with as well. And we're going to look at three real fears for three real people. Luke 1, starting at verse 26. We're going to meet Mary here. It says this. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. All right, so this angel shows up to Mary. And, and, and listen to what he says. He goes, greetings, favored one, the Lord is with you. That's a pretty good thing to hear from an angel, right? Like if an angel shows up and is like, hey, what's up, Cal? Greetings, you're favored, God is with you. I'm feeling pretty good in this moment. It's a good day so far. But look at her response in verse 29. But she was greatly troubled at this saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. Her first response is fear. And the angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. And he will be great and will be called the Son of the God Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. So the first fear that we see in this story is 
Fear number one, I'm afraid of what the future holds. Mary is greeted by an angel, and the angel's like, hey, you're going to conceive and bear a son. And his name's going to be Jesus. And Mary, when she meets this angel, she is fearful. And here's why. What the angel is telling Mary is really, really scary. All right, to be pregnant outside of wedlock. She was engaged, but she was not yet married. It's way, way, way more than just like a social stigma that she was dealing with. It's not like she would go to Myers or D&W and a couple people would look at her weird as she's going down the aisles. Her very life was at stake. It was a capital offense to, to have sex outside of marriage. And she could die if people found out that she was pregnant before she was married. She was scared of what the future holds. And I love her response because it shows that she's just like us. Like we're fearful about what the future holds all the time, aren't we? about what might happen, what might be coming our way. And if you don't fear the future yet, you know why that is? It's because you don't have kids, right? Kids make you terrified of the future. I remember when uh, my wife was pregnant with our twin girls, and uh, they were identical twins, and they came 33 weeks into pregnancy. So if you don't know, 40 weeks is full term. They came at 33. They came seven weeks early. And I remember after her water broke, they're like, listen, we can't stop the contractions. Your water's breaking. It's not safe for them to be inside your womb any longer because they could get infected. The, uh, the water helps pro like protect them from infection. So we need to deliver them now. But they're going to be really, really small, and they're coming way too early. So here's what this means. And the doctor like started giving us this list of everything that might happen during the delivery. They're like, they might be incredibly small. They might come out of the womb blue. They might not be crying. They might not be able to breathe at all on their own. We have a whole team of doctors on standby that's going to fight to keep them alive. And, and they're going to have to stay in the children's hospital for a long time. And because they're premature babies, they, there's a higher likelihood that they could be blind. There's a highly likelihood for this syndrome and this syndrome and this syndrome. And, and I remember being like, listen, I'm already freaking out. My wife's in labor. Like, like, this could have been good information to explain to me, like, at week 16. Why is this happening right now? And in the moment where there could have been or should have been joy to meet my daughters, I was filled with fear. And we worry about the future all the time, don't we? Maybe it's a health diagnosis. Hey, I'm, I'm sick. Something's not right. I don't know what it is. Just this week, a, a friend of ours ha had a daughter who wasn't feeling well. And the doctors were worried, like, this, this could be cancer. So we got together and we prayed and we trusted the Lord and thankfully everything came back great. The, the, the child's fine, but it's scary in that moment. Maybe it's fear of financial pressures. Maybe you've lost a job or don't know what 2019 looks like. Maybe you're moving and going to a new community. Maybe there's a relational problem where you're like, man, I don't understand how this is going to work out in the future and I'm hurting. We often fear about the future. But notice what the angel says to Mary. In the middle of her fear, he says, fear not, because this child is going to change everything. And we're going to get to that in a minute. All right, look up on the screen. You don't have to turn there. Matthew 1, 19 through 21, we're going to meet our next character. It says this, and her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, see it again, do not fear to take Mary as your wife. 
For that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son and you will call his name Jesus. For he will save his people from their sins. So now we meet Joseph and we meet this next very real fear. And it's this. What will other people think of me? Right? Imagine being Joseph in this story. Right? Your fiance's just showed up and is like, hey, honey, I've got some news for you. And you're like, do you, you want to change the wedding plans? Like, what do you want to tell me? And she's like, I'm pregnant. Imagine what his response would be. How could you? How dare you? How dare you cheat on me? And then she's like, no, 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 don't worry, babe. Uh, uh, God gave me the baby. It's like, my girl's gone crazy, right? And, and you can tell he's not buying what Mary is selling. But what he's thinking is like, how do I make this go away as quiet as possible? I still love Mary. I don't want her to die. But I don't want to turn this into a big thing. This is super embarrassing. My life's been turned upside down. And it says he is resolved to divorce her quietly. He's just thinking, how can I sweep all of this under the rug and get a fresh start at life? He's worried about how he's going to be perceived by others. And I've said this before. There is nothing that locks us up in life more practically than this terror of how we think other people view us. Amen? This is something that we live in prison to all the time. I've said it this way before, that even though we're all grown up, we're actually just junior hires who are still desperate to sit at the cool kid table. And so we're always thinking, how am I being perceived? How do I look? Do I need to lose weight? Do I need to put on muscle? Do I, I, do I need to put on more makeup? Do I, I, I wonder what people are saying about me when I'm not around. Do I have true friends? Are my friends going to replace me with someone better? Am I ever going to find true love? We are so locked up with this fear of how others might be perceiving us. Are you mad at me? Like, you know how many times I've had someone come up to me like, Cal, are you mad at me? I'm like, no. Well, you walked by me and you didn't smile. I was like, I was trying not to sneeze. Like, it's no big deal, right? Like, it happens. But we get so consumed with what others are thinking, it brings us to crazy places. These are questions that we wrestle with all the time. And here's why. You need to understand this. The reason we're concerned with how other people view us is because we were created to be fully known and fully loved by God. We were wired to be loved, but what we do is, is we substitute the perfect love of God and we're like, no, I want tangible love that I can see and feel. So we settle for the love and approval of other people. But the problem is, is other people are broken just like we are. So that is something that's always going to be a losing game. Enough is never going to be enough and they cannot fulfill what our hearts are longing for. We're wired to be known and loved by God, but we settle for the love and affection of others and it always leaves us with this deficit. Joseph was just like us. He was worried about his reputation and what others would think. But look what the angel says to him. He says, Joseph, do not fear to take Mary to be your wife. This son, this child is of God and he's going to change everything. We're going to get to that in a moment. Now again, if you're open to Luke, look at Luke 2 verse 8. We're going to meet our third group of people and see the third fear that is so prevalent in this story and also in our lives. Luke 2, starting at verse 8, says this. Very famous passage, you probably know this. It says, In the same region there were shepherds out in the field keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them. And listen, they were filled with great, what? Fear. 
They see an angel and their first response is not joy and excitement, it's fear. And the angel said to them, fear not. Behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with an angel a great multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and saying glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. The third fear we see so clearly is this fear about where I stand with God. The shepherds see an angel and they're not excited, but they are terrified. And you need to understand who shepherds were in the time of Christ. They were shepherds not because they were the best educated or the most noble or the most moral or the most religious. These were the men who lived on the fringes of society, who maybe have criminal history in their background, who aren't good in public. So they are kind of relegated to watching the sheep, hanging, hanging with the other shepherds. And can you imagine if this crew is all hanging together and all of a sudden an angel rolls up? They're probably terrified. They're like, uh-oh, God knows what I did last Thursday, right? He's coming to get me. And when they're presented with an angel, their first response is fear. And I think this is something that we wrestle with all the time. Does God really love me? Am I really forgiven? Like if Jesus were to show up in this room and walked down this aisle, would you run to him or would you run away? Because you don't feel like you're worthy. And I know this is something that I've wrestled with much of my life. It's like, how could God really forgive me? He knows what I've done. He knows my sin. He knows how I constantly fall short. He's probably just actually frustrated. He'll forgive me and call me his child because um, he has to, but I'm kind of like the stepchild, and, and I just don't know if he's really excited about me. He, he loves me because maybe it feels like he has to. Maybe you're here and you're like, I just don't know if I could be forgiven. I don't know if I'm really saved. I'm trying to do the right things. I'm trying to love God, but maybe I don't have what I want to have. Or maybe you're in here and you're doubting. And you're like, I don't know if God is real. I don't know if this is true. I don't know if I need to continue walking down this path. I don't know if I believe in any of it anymore. And I tell you what, if you don't know where you stand with God, your life will never be full of peace because peace only comes when we have right relationship with God. But these shepherds were afraid. They were, they were afraid of where they stood with God. Okay, but look what the angel says at verse 10. It says, fear not. Because this child is going to change the world. So here's what we see. We see three groups of people with real legitimate fears just like you and I have. And the angel says the exact same thing to all three. He says, listen, now is not the time to be afraid. Fear is over. Fear not. So here's the question. Why does he say that? Why does he give three different people the exact same advice? Here's why. Because the prince of peace had finally come. Which leads us to big idea number two, and it's this. Perfect peace comes when the Prince of Peace is guarding me. Right? You know you're going hard when you have two big ideas in one sermon. We don't do this very often. But what we need to hear is that we can have perfect peace once we realize that the Prince of Peace is guarding us. So what does it mean? What does it mean that Jesus is the Prince of Peace? 
Well, hundreds of years before Jesus was born, the prophet Isaiah prophesied about Jesus. And here's what it said in Isaiah 9, 6 and 7. It said this, For to us a child is born, and to us a son is given. And the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. Why is Jesus called the Prince of Peace? Is it because he had long hair and he looked like a hippie and gave the peace sign a lot? No. He's not um, called the Prince of Peace because he was necessarily anti-war or coming to stop wars. He was coming to win the final war against sin and Satan and to make things right that sin broke in the garden. And what I want you to see is, throw up the next slide, I want you to see how Jesus is our Prince of Peace. Jesus is our Prince of Peace because in the first coming, he paid the penalty of sin. So he lived a perfect life and he paid the debt that we owe. The wages of sin is death. We deserve death in the face of God because we are guilty. But Jesus substituted his perfection for our brokenness. He took our sin on the cross and he fixed what was broken in the fall. He fixed our relationship with God. You and I can have relationship with God today. Because the Prince of Peace died in our place. And then when Jesus Christ returns in his second coming, he is going to have the final victory over sin and Satan. And he is going to return the world to pre-fall perfection. Revelation talks about a new heaven and a new earth descending down from the clouds where there is no sin, there is no brokenness, and we will be returned, and the earth will be returned to the state it was before the fall. And the Bible says that the earth longs and groans in eager anticipation for this day. Our world is broken, but it will be fixed through Jesus. All right, I need you to look here. I need you to lean into this with me right now, and I don't say this often because I don't want to cheapen it. But this is something that if you and I grasp, absolutely has the power to change your life right now. Okay, here's what I mean. When Jesus was on earth, what did he teach about? He taught a lot about this coming kingdom. He called it the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God. And he said, listen, there's this new kingdom that's beginning, and it's starting with me right now, Jesus said. And he said, listen, my followers, people who love me, people who I've saved, they are citizens, not of this earth, but of the kingdom of heaven. And their citizenship, citizenship is in heaven. That they're not of this world anymore, but they are citizens of God. Paul writes about this in Philippians 3. It says, but our citizenship is in heaven and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him to subject all things to himself. All right, so here's what this means. That if you love Jesus Christ, if you're a follower of his, even though we live in a broken world and a world that's tainted by sin, this is no longer our home and we're not from here. And even though we live here, this is not where we belong. This is not where we are going. Have you, any of you guys ever been in a different culture and it's become very, very obvious you don't belong? Have you ever gone overseas or been on a trip where it's like, man, I don't belong here. Um, my wife and I, when we got married, I took a job as a youth pastor in Orlando for a couple years and we moved to the south. And it became very, very clear to me that I am not a southerner. I did not belong in the south. Um, I don't like sweet tea. In the south, that is heresy. 
That's a capital offense. I would like be at Chick-fil-A and I would get unsweet iced tea and people would like move away from me at the table. They're like, how? I was like, I don't like just drinking straight sugar. I don't like sweet tea. Um, I think grits are disgusting. Right? I've got a personal rule. If I can't decide whether to drink it or chew it, I'm not having it, right? It's a texture thing. I don't understand it. I don't like it. Keep it away from me. That didn't win me any friends in the South. I'm not polite enough to be in the South. I don't smile big enough. I don't say y'all right. I'm not sweet enough. Maybe it's the, lemon, or the, the iced tea problem. I don't know what it is. But I just didn't belong. And, and for Mary and I, it was very, very clear that even though we're living in Orlando, we're not from here, and we don't really fit in. Well, that's the same picture Jesus gives us of us living in this broken world. That even though we live in this broken world, we're citizens of a new world that isn't tainted by sin. And here's what you need to get. As citizens of heaven, you and I have access to certain privileges today that no one else in our world has access to because we know God. And one of the best privileges that you and I have access to because of our citizenship being in heaven is we can experience perfect peace today despite the fact we live in a broken world. Peace does not have to be an illusion for you today. It's not elusive. It's not playing keep away. But Jesus has made it so you and I can hold on and open this perfect gift of perfect peace right now because we have relationship restored with God. We are citizens of heaven, and we get to experience the peace of heaven today. Well, how? Well, turn in your Bibles with me to Philippians 4. I want to lay this out very clear to you, how you and I can experience the new kingdom today. Philippians 4, we're going to start at verse 4, and I'm going to read through verse 9. But this is four ways you and I can experience the peace of the new kingdom right now. It says this, Rejoice in the Lord always, and again I will say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. Look at verse 7. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your heart and mind in Christ Jesus. Not maybe, not hopefully, not sometimes, but will. It's a promise. Finally, brothers... Whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice this thing. Here's another promise. And the God of peace will be with you. Okay, I need to pause here for a minute. If you're here this morning and you don't know Jesus Christ... You're never going to experience the peace your heart longs to. And when, Jesus, or when the angel's talking to the shepherds, in verse 13, or verse 14, it says, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth, peace among those with whom he is well pleased. You know how God is pleased with us? It's not because we're great or we have something figured out. God is pleased with us because we are covered in the righteousness of his son, Jesus Christ. It's not that we're special, but it's that we know our Savior. And if you don't know Jesus, you're going to look for peace your whole life and never find it. So if that's you, come up at the end of the service, find me, find Pastor Phil, find another one of our pastors, and we want to tell you about this Jesus because your peace is on the line. 
Twice in Philippians 4, God promises us that we can have peace right now. And here's the first way that you and I can walk in this new kingdom. It's this. We can choose joy right now. Look at verse 4. It says, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Well, church, I have a question for you. When is always? It's always. So that means right now is part of always. So right now, in your chair, as you're listening to me, you have a choice to make and you can choose joy. Well, Cal, I don't know what to be joyful in. Life's not going great for me. I don't know where to find this joy. Well, let me help you. Find joy in your identity. That your identity is that you are a child of God, that you've been forgiven, that you are known and loved by your creator, and that you are saved for eternity. That should be enough to make all of us joyful, no matter what we're going through. This choosing joy, it's not found in our circumstances or in our broken world. It's found in our perfect savior who died for us and establishes us a new identity. We can choose to have joy in this moment. Choose joy right now. Look at verse 6. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. The second way we can walk in this new kingdom is be quick to pray. Again, I told a story about friends of ours who, who got a scary diagnosis about a, a potential sickness with one of their kids this week. And, and I remember um, when I heard about this, the first thing I did was I called Mary and we prayed together. And then I prayed all day in my office and Mary prayed and we were texting back and forth, praying together with our friends. And it was just in our hearts that God, we can't, we don't know what to do. This is bigger than anything that we can fix, but we're going to run to you and we're going to pray because you promise peace. There is real peace when we run to God in prayer. We have relationship with God. We have a tool that no one else has. We know God and he will provide us peace. Be quick to pray. The third thing we do is simply rest. We simply rest. Look at verse 7. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. I love verse 7. You know why? Because what role do we play in any of that? It says that the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. It's God doing all the work in that moment. So when there's something that's causing us fear, and we pray, it says all we have to do is sit back and say, God, we've done everything we can, we've run to you, now you need to do what only you can do and provide us with supernatural peace, and it is a promise that he keeps. That once we seek him and once we pray, we just sit back and say, God, I trust you, and I need you, and I need your peace, and he promises to provide it. God does not break his promises, it's true, it's real, and it's life-changing. And then the fourth thing we do is we simply walk in faith. Look at verse 9, how it ends. It says, what you've learned and what you've received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. So what does it mean to, to practice these things? It's simply live out what you believe. Hey, I, I was scared. I went to the Lord. I prayed. And he filled my life with peace. And then guess what? The next day when something else scary that happens, I lived it out again. I practiced it. I walked in faith. Walking in faith is simply living out what you believe. Okay, and here's what I love about these four things. Do you see how they're all relational by nature? That 
When we choose joy, we're choosing joy not because of our circumstances, but because of who we are in God. And it's our relationship with God we have joy in. That's relational. That when we pray, we're running to God to communicate with him. That's relational. That when we're resting, we're allowing God to do a work that only he can do. And that when we're walking by faith, basically we're saying, God, I'm going to walk out and live out my love for you. And the promise is that the God of peace will be with us. Look here, church. This Christmas, no matter how crazy your family is, no matter how hard the circumstances are that you are facing, we can know real peace right now because this child has come, this Prince of Peace has changed everything. He has fixed what sin has broken. He has restored what we have forfeited and we have right relationship with God and we get the benefits of being his citizen because he has made a way. And no matter what you're facing right now, even if this is your last Christmas, or a last Christmas with a loved one, we can know peace. In church, that is something to be excited about and that's something to celebrate. So let's pray. I would just ask you in this moment right now, as it's quiet and as the music's playing, is your heart full of peace this morning? Like, could you be honest with yourself right now? Would peace be the word that describes your life? Would your family describe you as peaceful? Would your coworkers or friends? Maybe I would ask you this, where are you looking to find peace in a world that is broken and cannot satisfy? Have you become consumed with others' opinions of you? Has that robbed your peace? Are you looking to the things of this world to provide what only God can provide? What do you need to give to the Lord right now and say, God, I'm going to pray about this and I'm going to trust you and I need you to fill my heart with peace right now. Dear Heavenly Father, God, we are so thankful for you. We're so thankful that you sent Jesus, the Prince of Peace. And God, right now, I am asking that you keep a promise that you've made to us. Would you fill our hearts with peace? And if there are people in here who are suffering and whose hearts are heavy and weary, would you give them rest? Would you give them peace? Would you be with them? Would you do what you say you would do? And God, we know you keep your promises. You are the Prince of Peace. And because we are your children, we can experience what the rest of the world cannot. And God, would that break our hearts for more people to know and enter your perfect peace. We need you. We love you. It's in your great son's name we pray. Amen.